0: This episode of The Cutting Room is sponsored by Grass Valley's EDIUS 6. Check out the new EDIUS 6 at www.grassvalley.com. This episode is also brought to you by Blackmagic Design. The world's most advanced color correction tool for Mac just got more powerful. DaVinci Resolve 8 from Blackmagic Design. With XML import, export, multi-layer timelines, curve grading, noise reduction, stabilization, 3D alignment, OpenCL, and more. DaVinci Resolve 8 is available for $995. Current users can download the update for free. And try DaVinci Resolve Lite, a reduced featured version that's still packed with power. Visit www.blackmagic-design.com
1: What, in addition to the right equipment, does it take for the job of film editing?
0: Welcome to The Cutting Room, I'm your host Gordon Burkell, this is going to be a very short uh, intro because we're actually, this is just a side episode for a sound panel that I was at, and it was, this was actually the sound panel that we attempted to do a live stream for and we had audio issues. When we had the issues I quickly pulled out other equipment and we've recorded it, so this is the first half hour of it. Next episode I'll release another half hour and then after that I'll release another half hour. So... The sound panel has Jane Tattersall, Mark Gringas, Jill Purdy, Steve Foster, David Heyman, and Michael Doherty, which is CCE, discussing how they work with sound. Michael Doherty is the only editor on the panel, and he actually was the editor I interviewed for our Halloween special, who works with George A. Romero. So please enjoy this interview. Uh, As you'll notice, Lauren's not with me this episode. She's not feeling too well, so we've given her the week off. But in the meantime, please enjoy the sound panel that the Canadian Cinema Editors put on.
2: First off, I'd like to thank Deluxe for uh, hosting this uh, lovely event and this lovely theatre one. Um, I'd also like to thank all our panelists, which I'll let uh, Mr. Barton uh, uh, introduce you to. Um, for the Canadian cinematographers, this is our first time ever broadcast to the internet. It's live to the World Wide Web. Uh, much appreciation to The Art of the Guillotine and Gordon Burkell, who's way back there. Um, I'd like to thank all of you for who brought uh, uh, food for the donation for the Daily, food, uh, Daily Bread Food Bank. A kind, generous um, uh, gesture that we're all hoping to uh, continue on with. Um, and I guess that's it. I mean, afterwards, uh, when everything wraps up, across the street is Skull. Uh, everybody usually ends up over there for a drink or two, so everyone is more than welcome to join us. So, without further ado, I'd like to uh, introduce you to Steve Barden. Your moderator for this evening.
3: Thanks. Hi, everyone. How are you? Uh, thank you. Uh, reiterate what Paul said. Thanks for coming out. It's a, um, a rainy night. I wasn't sure if anyone was going to come in the first place, and then I thought, saw it raining, and I thought, no, nobody's going to come. So this is great. Thank you all for being here. Uh, why don't we get the panel down here, and I'll just introduce them as they kind of take their seats. Uh, y'all hopefully have a pamphlet and that kind of gives you uh, the lowdown of who's who. Sorry if you got here late and there weren't any, um, but yeah, why don't you come on down. So we have uh, a picture editor, Michael Doherty, uh, re-recording mixer, Steve Foster, sound editor, Jill Purdy, sound editor, Jane Tattersall, sound editor extraordinaire, Mark Shingra, and music supervisor, David Heyman. <clears throat> allow me to consult my notes. So I just prepared a couple of words just to kind of open up with, and then we'll kind of get to our line of questioning. I thought that I would start off with some prepared questions for the panel, and we could kind of uh, go up and down the panel, and then after we finish those prepared questions, we'll uh, turn it over to everyone in the house. And if you've got questions to address to anyone individually or everyone, then you can do so. Uh, on a day-to-day basis these days, um, our respective jobs are in a state of flux. Uh, techniques, aesthetics, technology, procedures, and expectations are all changing, and we have to learn how to deal with these changes uh, in order to uh, stay competitive, but also in order to offer creative ideas with, within increasingly reduced schedules and budgets. Um, senior sound and picture editors Sorry. But that's, I think, oh, what we are. There, <laughs> that's <laughs> what we are now. Uh, senior sound and picture editors um, today are are the last to come out of the, the sound or film, sorry, the film or tape or uh, analog era. When you ask them, us, <laughs> or even when you don't ask them, these people will extol the virtue of things being done uh, a particular way. And sometimes they'll be unwilling to offer forth any explanation other than that's just the way that it's done or that's just the way that it's always been done. Um, But there can be no disputing that established standards and even some traditions are important. However, with rapidly changing filmmaking game, uh, I think we have to acknowledge that we're going to see more and more filmmakers in all disciplines, not just sound and picture, but in all disciplines, saying, Why do we have to do it that particular way, the way that it's always been done? Suddenly, us just saying that's how it's always been done or that's just the way that it is holds less and less credibility. So tonight, I'm hoping that we can look at the dynamic relationship that happens between the post-production picture and sound departments and acknowledge where we might be headed in the future um, by looking at our current situation and, and also by looking back to our recent past as well. Ultimately, we're all here to tell stories. And our respective departments, editing, post-sound, and music are the last ones in the process to get a kick at the can uh, of helping that story to shine. So we have a great opportunity to have uh, six such praiseworthy representatives. Sorry, five and and Mark. of our crafts in one room to discuss this and other topics. So with that, I'm going to sit down and we'll turn it over. I thought we would start off the evening by at least familiarizing everyone with um, the process that we typically go through. Um, It's kind of funny to call it in a traditional manner, which is actually 10 to 15 years old now, which really doesn't seem like that much of a tradition, but it's kind of been set, and set uh, for the last 10 to 15 years. So I thought we'd kind of go through how things have been done recently. And we would start with the beginning of the process, which actually starts um, with, uh, with Michael. So maybe you can talk to us about the turnover from Picture Sure, I do
4: have a DVD. I don't know if it's set up. We could play. Oh, OK,
3: great. Uh, is Mike in the house?
4: Although we have to turn these lights off. Yeah.
3: Going. So maybe if we could just kill the lights just for a sec. Basically, it's it's the uh, it's
4: two scenes from um, Diary of the Dead, and one is the uh, temp sound effects and music that I put in, followed by the mix. Unfortunately, it's not five one, so you're gonna hear stereo both sides, but you will get a chance to see what it's like. Great. Really looking for something as close to finished as possible when they see it. Um, I think in. Days pass. They would see. They would possibly give it to some of these guys prior to a screening, to do a sound effects pass. But the way that it works now with everything digital, I've got you know 16 tracks on the Avid that I can play back in stereo. They want us to fill it in as much as possible, so that when they watch it, they don't want to sit there, and think, well, the music doesn't seem right, even though it's temp. And I get notes from producers saying, well, that just doesn't quite sound right. That music, you know, it's temp. But they're expecting it to be finished. And part of that, I think, is because we're getting so, the technology is advancing so much now that it's it's just expected that it's going to sound as close to finished as possible. And then you can hear the difference, of course, is it's much sharper, cleaner. There's a lot more um, depth to all of the audio effects. But the initial template was there when I did the first scene uh, in the warehouse. The idea was to create an atmosphere. Um, and so I put in the sounds of tripping water. Um, the atmosphere wasn't so much music as it was a tone underneath. And then put in, um, in sort of a drone that was musical, so that the room had a kind of musical feel to it, but it wasn't actually music. And um, we played it, and then in the second version, you can see there was an ADR line. I think that somebody along the way said, well, we seem to be in the dark a little bit too much. So we had to fill in the gap. And we had the guy write his his line about school. And so essentially, as I said, my job is now is to, aside from cutting the picture, which comes first, but I'm constantly aware of how we're going to do the sound effects. And so while I'm building the scenes, I've got my bank of sound effects, and I start laying them in as I'm going along. You know, cell phone rings—that uh, goes in right away. Some of the stuff that's a little harder to do, you hold back occasionally. We'll get, we'll send a scene out and get uh, uh, one of these five other professionals to come in and um, do it for us. But most of the time now, it's got to come off the Avid, uh, sounding good and full.
3: Just to get an idea, Michael, how long, what, what kind of time frame are we talking about here from, let's say, last day of production through till when you turn it over to the sound department? Uh, Which I know is a, a huge range. There's
4: but a range. I'm working on The Listener right now, a TV series. And they finished their shooting um, the, uh, today. Today was day seven of a seven day shoot. So tomorrow I get the dailies for day seven. By the end of the day tomorrow, I'm supposed to have my assembly done, editors cut done, with music and sound effects. So I have one day after they finish shooting. I used to get two weeks. Mm-hmm. And so the director will come in. The director's not expecting it to be uh, you know, finished. But still, when they come in, he or she comes in, they're not going to watch the show dry. And so the music's got to be there. So when, when you're on a show like, the listener, um, we're on the third season, so I have um, two years now of music that's been created that I can grab from that sound. Approximately what I like in a given scene, and my job also in collaboration with director and producers is to spot music so that um, when we hand it off to a composer, normally we've got music in the places that we want it to be. It's not always. It's certainly not locked in stone. And different composers can talk to this, but sometimes the composer that did this wanted to hear all the temp tracks. And he um, followed the temp tracks pretty closely. Other composers out there don't want to hear the temps. I think they'd rather just go in and not have um, somebody uh, pre-decide for them what's going to go where. Um, Just a decision that they make.
3: Sure. How long is that process up until the sound department actually takes over? When do you, on, on the listener, for example, so you're, you're at the end of a seven day shoot, you get the director in. When, when yeah, does the sound department take over? Uh,
4: let me see. We probably, geez, you know, uh, that's partly a function of when air date sure. is set up. Um, I would say we've got the, the director comes in and gets two days. That's it. Then they're gone. That's in their contract. Then it goes to the producers who usually get a day, maybe two to watch it before it goes off to the network. Mm-hmm. Then, depending on the network, if you've got a post-production supervisor who can ride their asses and get them back in two days, then we can lock our picture. So you could say within two weeks, picture's locked. Right. But you're dealing with networks. And sometimes, when I got brought on the listener last year, they had already shot six episodes and hadn't locked any one of them because they had Fox and CTV. They couldn't decide. Between themselves, which version they wanted. So, after six episodes, and they still hadn't locked in, an air date was coming up in, uh, I don't know, eight weeks or something, uh, they brought me in to take some pressure off the editors who kept having to go back to recut earlier scenes. And then, in the end, um, the whole thing was pushed. The air dates were pushed, I think, by two months because they couldn't make <laughs> it happen. But it ends up with guys, you guys sit around thinking you've got a start date. For dialogue cutting or sound effects cutting, and you wait two months, you know. Sometimes, or you will deliver it to you guys and say, "Well, the air date's been moved up." What happened with with Land of the Dead? We had a September screening uh, release date by Universal, and we showed it to the the heads at Universal in Mar- uh, end of March. And uh, George Romero was trying to get an extra million dollars to shoot uh, four extra days and a couple of new scenes. And they said, no problem, we'll give you the million dollars. We think this movie's great. We love it. We're going to uh, launch it July, uh, June 24th. So all of a sudden, from a September finish date, we have a June 24th date, which accelerates everything. <coughs> so everybody goes into overtime. You guys end up, instead of having to do your work in six weeks, do it in three and a half. So it changes. Right.
3: Excellent, thank you. Uh, Jane, why don't you take it over from here? So we have picture lock. We have delivery to the sound department as a supervising sound editor. Where do you, where do you step in? What are your first jobs in that after that turnover?
1: Well, I think there's two different worlds. The one is of series television, and then there's one of feature films. Um, because um, ideally, if in, in a series television which has an air date, almost always has an air date, um, it's a you're following a schedule which doesn't vary. I guess the listener was an exception, but it doesn't vary all that much uh, and um so this we would start the sound when they locked picture or, or close to locking picture but uh when I hear everything that Michael's saying, I'm thinking, you know this is a, a a description of a way of working, which is like like we're part of the part of an assembly line, um albeit a very Creative assembly line, at least some of the time, not always. Um, but it's still an assembly line. And the, uh, the, the, the ideal way of working is, is a, to work as a craftsperson, where you're, or, or even an artist, where you're actually um, doing things kind of at your own pace. And while being respectful to the budget, you're doing things um, when they appear to be the right thing to do. In the case of sound editing, um, given that I believe that sound and I think probably everybody here would agree is, is a big part of storytelling big part of the editing world that um, it should not be done after the fact it should be done in concert with the picture editing then i ideally um, you'd have a sound editor signed up during pre-production and then when they start principal photography they i mean they might not be being paid but they might get a little bit of money to come in every so often, to listen to dailies, to see if there's a, a problem with any of the sound transfers, or if the sound, or whatever, to flag problems, not to point fingers at anyone. And then as the picture editing starts, then the sound editing would start, so that you might be given a, a scene when it's finished. And, and um, it, if, you can, if you do that, then you actually take the pressure off the picture department to solve a lot of problems in their own area. Um, I, I, I know and a lot of picture editors really love cutting sound because I think it's probably fun to do. and and the ass- assistant picture editors are given that job often to cut sound. so um, they may enjoy that as well, but it also puts a puts an additional job onto the uh, an already overtaxed department. Um, so th- it, it, if you could have the budget or the schedule, then an ideal scenario would be to have a sound editor. Or even two sound editors involved during the picture editing process—not full time, but in little bursts. You know, a few days here, a week there, so that they, um, first of all, they're getting to know the material, and second of all, they're actually filling in some of the story points, or helping the cuts, or making even suggestions about picture editing. Um, Changes, maybe that's uh, foreboding in uh, this <laughs> culture. But I, I've worked overseas a couple times, and in uh, each time, the picture editor made a big point of saying, "If you have a problem, make sure you uh, let me know, because I'm happy to change the cut. You know, a few frames here, or if, that, if it's better to start with this shot rather than that shot," which is kind of neat to to think that they would be willing to do that. So that I haven't happen, actually answered. That time here, <laughs> all the time. I haven't really answered your question specifically, but That's why. but n- I mean normally you, the, in the m- m- most cases you'd sound editing starts when the picture editor um, or the, someone uses the, the the lock date and um, and then you can take it from there
3: do you start off with a spotting session typically let's let's say in the world of the feature film you know will you will you arrange yeah. for a spotting session and what type of time frame are you typically looking at there like is it a one day thing do you try to spread it out over a couple yeah, of days well
1: usually there's a there's two parts to it there would be a technical evaluation to evaluate the quality of the dialogue where that's the time that often the director or producer mentions that they've got ad lines and um, for they have performance changes that they'd like to make, so all that takes for a feature film takes somewhere between, well, I usually allow a day, like six to eight hours. Um, it can be somewhat tedious, so <laughs> six hours is better. But um, you know, it's a long time to listen to sometimes really bad quality dialogue, and it's a bit disheartening for the the. Pr- Particularly for the director, because often they've heard it in a cutting room, which doesn't have speakers with very full bandwidth—not bandwidth, sorry, a frequency—and so you just, um, you know, they're just used to hearing their dialogue quite clear, and then suddenly they hear all this crap behind it, and so it's 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 depressing for them. They they were not actually aware they had a problem, and suddenly they see this as a really big issue for them more on that later um, and then a creative spotting it can c- can happen very quickly it can just be a matter of running the film and uh, th- and they uh, p- people stopping every so- once in a while to ask a question or the director clarifies something that he or she might want um, uh, other times it's uh, it can be quite a prolonged process it really depends on the nature on of the nature film. of the director <coughs> nature of the film right. and how
3: yeah. It's really yeah. your opportunity, to, it's your first opportunity probably to get into the director's head. you know, Because at this point, you've been seeing pictures and you've been reading scripts and this type of thing. But of course, the director has been interpreting it in a particular way. The picture editor's probably been interpreting it in a particular way. So this is your chance to ask the necessary questions, really, to elicit, the hopefully, the answers you want.
1: In,
4: uh, in the feature world, ideally, the picture editor is there
1: oh, yes, during for the sure. sound spot, less so sure. on so
4: television. But in every I, case on a feature, I'm always there to... Help with that the creative spot. Yeah.
1: I, I would I would I mean it would it's kind of horrible when the picture editor is not there because first of all they know the materials. Inside and so out. they know whether there's maybe an actor's consistent with their performance if outtaking is going to be a logical solution. But also they, they really they know the they know the peculiarities of the story, of the, the sort of the tendencies of the director and can actually be a wonderful guide to what's coming up. Right.
4: And in some cases, you mentioned the the alt performances. I mean, a lot of times, as a picture editor, I will go in and I like a particular line delivery on a take, but I don't like the visual take, so I'll take the line from an unused take and lay it in on top. And um, those are things we would discuss during the, the spot
0: session. So that was part one of the sound panel. Next week I'll be putting out part 2, and then following that part 3, and hopefully next week Lauren will be able to join me. Uh, Hopefully she's feeling much better. In the future we're going to be having an interview with the editors of Super 8 soon, so look out for that. And we're going to have a new section on AOTG for uh, people to interact with us. So, I'm Gordon Raquel, thanks to the Canadian Cinema Editors for allowing me to do this. Thanks to everyone on the panel, and please enjoy your week.